Well, good morning and happy Father's Day. And uh, so I was standing in the back here today and shaking your hands, coming to the door and listening to these men sing this morning. It's overwhelmed with the significance of this day. Looking around and seeing all these beautiful, precious families and the godly, great men leading them. Many of us thinking today about our own fathers as well. Some of them still on this earth. Some of them gone home and gone on before us. But aren't you thankful that in God's infinite wisdom, he created man and woman and gave us fathers and mothers. I remember my father, from as long as I can remember, used to come to my bedroom at night before I went to bed, and he'd sit on the side of the bed or sit in a chair there and talk. You know, you might find it amazing, but he continued that all the days that I lived at home. Come downstairs in the evening, not always the time I was getting ready to go to bed, but come down sometime during the evening just to talk. We talked about everything. I used to like to hear about his life and uh, his involvement. I particularly loved the, his Navy stories. He fought in World War II in the Navy, so I got to relive some of those stories. But I realized that it was important to my father, too, to sit there. And have that time with me each and every day. And I'm here to tell you that I'm a richer man for the investment that my father made in me. And as I look out there today, I see you men as well. And I know your children are blessed to have you too in the time you spend with them and invest in them. You know, as I was thinking about where we're at here in the scripture, Matthew, we began the Beatitudes last week. And I thought, how perfect for us to continue on this march today, looking at the first Beatitude but also realize that uh, what is the absolute greatest thing that we can give to our children? My father gave it to me. Many of you got it from your fathers, and you're passing it on to your children. What is the greatest thing that we can give to our children? You know the answer. It's Jesus Christ. And how are our children going to get a real, genuine relationship with the God of the universe and his son, Jesus Christ? By seeing it lived out in you and I. We can preach all day long, and you know how that goes. So do I sometimes. But when they see it genuinely lived out, and they see Jesus Christ in their Father, you know what? They realize that's something that I want. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's older, he shall not depart from it. You know that verse. But God has given us incredible blessing by being dads, incredible privilege, but also a phenomenal responsibility to pass on Jesus Christ to our children. And I want you to know this morning as we study these Beatitudes, as we come to understand what Jesus was all about, we're going to study the greatest sermon that was ever preached. It was a masterpiece. It was a Sermon on the Mount. It was a sermon that changed everything. It was no longer a matter, a matter of doing this and doing that and the responsibilities and the rules that we're supposed to follow. We still need to follow those. But it was all about a relationship and an attitude. Jesus Christ preached profound thoughts that went against the world. And you think about this today. If we desire to live for Jesus Christ, we're going to typically be going against the world. It's not the world's thinking. It's not the world's direction. It's God's thinking. Jesus redefined our faith. He describes to you and I kingdom character, what it looks like to truly be a character of the kingdom, a child of the kingdom. Many theologians have also called the Beatitudes the New Testament commandments. Jesus sat down on that mount we talked about last week. We read about it in Matthew 5, verse 1. 
He sat down on that mount to talk to his disciples and all the other people gathered around there. He sat in that position of authority. He had God's word to share with God's people. He defined the, 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 the believer's attitude. Last week, you remember what we talked about, what blessing means? It means it's a state of mind. It's not an event. And, and, uh, uh, Blessing is not an event. It's not we get something great and all of a sudden I'm blessed. Those are nice. Those are little minor joys we have along our lives, little happinesses. But blessing is, from Jesus Christ's perspective is a state of mind. The definition we shared last week was the fact that, you know, it's, it's, it's the fact that a follower of Jesus Christ is allowed to enjoy and extend the goodness of God in their life, to see the things that God has for them. Remember we said the exact meaning of the definition of blessing in the Greek was a Greek island by the name of Makaros. Makaros, why was it a blessed island? Because that island had every single thing it needed to exist. Didn't need to go off that island for everything, anything. So when Jesus Christ is talking to you and, I, and you and I about being blessed, it means that he gives us that island, that we can live on that island with Jesus Christ and have every single thing that we need. We don't need to go anywhere else for it. We don't need a single thing. You and I also are to enjoy those things, but also to extend them, which means that we've been blessed to be a blessing. We're not going to continue to receive God's richest blessings if we hold them all for ourselves and don't pass them on. We're to extend God's blessings. We're to be a river and not a reservoir where God's blessings flow through us, flow into us. We enjoy those, but then we pass them on. Been blessed to be a blessing. We're going to begin our study this morning with the very first beatitude. Well, what does beatitude mean, Pastor? I'm glad you asked. It means the same thing. It's to be happier, blessed. In the Greek, it means privileged recipient of divine favor. That's what a beatitude is. It's a privileged recipient of God's divine favor. I love this. In the Hebrew, it means to be happy, but it also means to go straight. Think about that. I want to be blessed. How's that happen? Because I'm going straight. I'm going straight with God. I'm walking with God the way I need to. I'm standing for God, and I'm seeing these blessings come into my life. About two months ago, I preached Psalms 1. And as I was thinking about this message this morning, you know, Psalms 1 came to mind. And if we truly want to see the fullness of the word beatitude, listen to these first two verses of the chap chapter 1 of Psalms. It says, Blessed is a man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. What's that? That's standing right. That's going straight in our life, not doing the things that are going to take us in the wrong direction. But, it says in verse 2, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and he meditates day and night. Beatitudes mean to be blessed. We're blessed because of Jesus Christ, because we see truly the secrets of life. I want you to understand this morning, too, we talked about last week in great length, but blessings are not found in what we have. Blessings are found in our relationship with Jesus Christ. I don't know if any of you have had this experience before, but our family loves to do jigsaw, or some of our family loves to do jigsaw puzzles. I won't tell you who it is, Amy. No, I'm just kidding. But and we don't get easy jigsaw puzzles. We get sophisticated ones. Like, how about ones that it's only got like three or four different shades of white in it, and it's a thousand pieces? We have a good time, though. It's a great family activity. Typically do them at Christmas time, or if we go on vacation someplace with the family for a week, we'll find a table someplace or counter and set that puzzle up and start doing it. 
work on it all week long and all week long and agonize you know, over at four trying to find the right pieces or you know typically you you make the border first of all and then you get the pieces in the middle we're working away and working away and it's agonizing and agonizing oh man this puzzle is so hard and just so hard to put together and finally you're getting very very close and man let's all sit down here let's get this thing finished and get it finished and what happens you're missing like about 20 pieces holy toledo where are they at? Go check the box. No, they're not in the box. Where are they? Well, go check the bag that we brought the box in and go up into that box and sure enough, there they are. Pull those pieces out and finish out the puzzle so we, now we've got a nice, complete picture. You know, you, you feel bad when you get all that work done and you realize, I'm missing some pieces here. There's some things that are missing from my puzzle. The puzzle is not complete. kind of feel like, man, I just feel kind of empty now because the puzzle isn't complete. A lot of people that call themselves Christians that are followers of Jesus Christ are living lives right now that are incomplete. Why? Because, well, we, maybe we're still worried. Maybe we're concerned about things. or Maybe we have great anxiety. or We don't seem to have peace in our life. or You know, it seems like life isn't fair to me. or I, I just don't have a fullness of hope, a fullness of peace in my life, or a fullness of joy in my life, and I want that. What's missing? Jesus Christ right here is sitting down at the very beginning of his ministry telling us, how we can find the missing pieces to the puzzle of life. He wants us to understand that I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. Jesus Christ came to complete our life. Jesus Christ did not come to leave pieces out of the puzzle. The puzzle is complete right here in the book. It's a matter of understanding what God has told you and I and coming to a point in our life when we realize I want the fullness of life. I don't want part of my life. I don't want to go around my whole life looking for pieces that are missing. I want to see the pieces right now in front of me and put them all together. Let's look at the very first beatitude. It's Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. I'm going to ask you to stand up for about 30 seconds here as we read the first beatitude. Stand with me this morning, if you will, out of reverence and respect to the reading of God's holy word. The first beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. Father, may you bless the reading of your holy word. Father, we pray right now, Lord, that you'd speak to each one of our hearts, Father, that we might understand these Beatitudes, Father, maybe like never before, Father. Maybe it's the first time we've ever really sat down and pondered these things, Father. But we thank you, Lord, that Jesus Christ sat upon that mountaintop with his disciples and all those people, Father, desiring for them to see what it means to live the kingdom of heaven here on earth. Father, I pray that every one of us that we go through this study, Father, would be changed yet again for eternity. Father, that we'd see the blessed life that Jesus Christ died upon that cross for us for. Lord, we love you and we thank you once again for loving us as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. You don't need to go there right now, but kind of as an advertisement here at the beginning of our message, we're going to put together one of these cards for each beatitude. It's in your bulletin this morning. There's going to be eight of them coming. Well, why'd you do that, Pastor? Listen, I want you to use this as a teaching moment in your home. Dads, moms, Tape them on your refrigerator, tape them on the wall in your kitchen, put them on the window, wherever you want to put them. Get more than one. There's a bunch of extra ones up there on the counter if you want. But what a precious opportunity each week to talk about what this beatitude means. What does it mean to you? What does it mean to me? How do we live that beatitude in our life? What does it really mean? You're going to have eight of them when the, uh, when the, when the uh, series is all done. Pray that you tape them all up on the wall and use them for the glory of God. The very first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit. Well, nobody likes being poor. We know that. It's normal not to want to live in poverty either. 
If we're in that condition, typically we want to do something to get out of poverty. So Jesus Christ, right at the very beginning of sharing these principles about living the kingdom life, talks about something that's totally contrary to what most people would think. I don't want to be poor. I don't want to be poor. He doesn't say, blessed are the spirit, blessed in the spirit are those who are poor. He says, blessed are the poor who are poor in spirit. He's got a problem with people worshiping stuff. Make no mistake, God has no problem with people and stuff. Think about all the people in the Bible that were wealthy. How about Abraham? David? Job was a wealthy man. In fact, by today's standards, these three guys would be millionaires. You know, there's even one guy in the Bible that you'd probably classify either a billionaire or a trillionaire. It was Solomon. God has no problem giving us stuff. But God has a problem when we take that stuff and we worship that stuff instead of Him. When that stuff stands in front of us or that stuff is used to measure, uh, to measure our spiritual state. I got all this stuff, so I'm pretty wealthy. You know, I believe there's probably a lot of people out there that say, man, I got a brand new great car. God must really favor me. Or God and I are tight, man, and we're tight. Or I got a beautiful house. God and I are tight. Well, maybe so. But that's not the reason for your tightness. That's not the reason for your relationship. The relationship, and if it's tight, means that you're blessed by Jesus Christ by His standards, not by the earthly standards. God allows us to have stuff. God blesses us with stuff. Everything belongs to God. The point I want to print on this and the point I want to share on this whole thought to make kind of drive it home is the fact that you can own all this stuff in the world. You can have the nicest car, the nicest house, the nicest boat, all these things, and still not be blessed. In fact, a lot of times we see people with the most of the stuff in this world don't look very happy. They don't look like they're blessed. God desires to bless us. Let's analyze what Jesus Christ has said here. Blessed are the poor in spirit. If you look up at that word poor, it means beggar. Remember Luke 16, the story of Lazarus and the rich man? Lazarus was a very rich man, and Lazarus had nothing. He used to sit outside this man's gate and wait for crumbs to be kind of brushed off his table. He'd eat the crumbs. The rich man had all this stuff. Well, they both died, and guess what? The rich man ended up in hell. Doesn't mean you're going to end up in hell if you're rich. But he was not poor in spirit. He was rich in spirit. Lazarus, we don't know his conversion experience. We don't know why he ended up in heaven, but he ended there. He obviously had faith in God. Lazarus depended upon charity. Traveling to Nicaragua all the times I went down there, many times we went to a place called the Managua Dump, the capital of Nicaragua. They had a huge dump there. Last time I was there, they had more than 143 families living in the dump. They were living there. Why? So they could scavenge food and scavenge cans and turn them in in bottles and turn them in for pennies and coins and nickels and things. Recycle those things and make some money. They were actually living in the dump in a little hut made out of sticks and garbage bags. I saw children out there digging in the dirt and finding something and actually eating it. It broke my heart. I've never seen poverty that low before. I also saw him walking up to us with a little dirty tin can and said, Do you have any coins? They said it in Spanish, but I know what they're asking for because they're holding a coin can. You know what I realized with those little children? Obviously, they're begging for a reason, but I believe with all my heart that if they weren't begging, they wouldn't make it. They needed somebody else to help meet their needs. 
They were asking a perfect stranger because they were destitute and they needed something. They needed help. If somebody doesn't help me, I'm not going to make it, they're saying. Jesus, when he pronounces this first blessing, the first beatitude, you know what he's saying? He's saying that poverty in our spiritual life is essential. We need to be poor in our spiritual life. What does that mean? It means that I'm not going to make it without God. I'm destitute. I'm bankrupt spiritually, and I, there's only one good thing about me, and that's going to be Jesus Christ, and I need Jesus Christ. Blessed is the man who's spiritually destitute. Blessed is a man who's a spiritual beggar. Blessed is a man that desires above all else to have Jesus Christ. If God does not give me what I need in my life, I'm going to starve to death spiritually. We need to have complete recognition of our inability to meet our spiritual needs. Aside from God, I'm not going to meet those things. I want to go one little step further. might step on a few toes. But there's a lot of people that go to church that are still spiritually starving. Why? Maybe we're sitting in the whole situation of the first attitude. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. It's very easy to have confidence in kind of life or confidence in my success. And talked about this in the Bible study this week, our men's Bible study. A lot of people find security in money. Do you know what? You know how much that money you're going to take with you? Same amount you brought with you when you came into this world. Nothing. None of it. Paul said that Jesus told him, and John, John said this, I'm sorry, that Jesus said, without me you can do nothing. Remember the church of Laodicea in the book of Revelations, chapter 3? I don't know if you ever studied that city. But it's a very well-to-do city. It was a capital of industry. It was also a crossroads of many trading routes. And so it was a very busy city, but very, very wealthy city as well. The people that went to the church in Laodicea were very wealthy. They had everything. They drove the nicest carts, and they had the nicest homes, and they had the nicest clothes, and they had all kinds of money and everything they needed. Do you know what Jesus Christ said about that church? He says, you're neither hot nor cold. You're mediocre. He said, I'd rather have you be hot or cold. At least you know where you stand. But to be mediocre, he says, you know what that makes me want to do? Throw up, he says. Makes me want to vomit. To be spiritually poor is declare yourself spiritually bankrupt. You can't pay. You see no way to make it. Your own resources cannot handle your spiritual debt. You're totally insufficient when it comes to your spiritual life. I think guys are probably more guilty of this, fathers, than the, men, the women are. But uh, a lot of times when we get sick, as men, oh, it'll go away. I'll take an aspirin and I'll go to bed or drink some orange juice and it'll be better in the morning. Sometimes we actually go to a little drawer that might have a few extra over-the-counter prescriptions or something there, not prescriptions, over-the-counter drugs or aspirin. You know, it doesn't go away the first day, so what do we do? We kind of say, well, I'm going to stop by the drugstore on my home and maybe ask if there's something over-the-counter over I can get to kind of take away this cold or my sinus problem, whatever it might be. So we do that. Well, it just doesn't get any better. So all of a sudden I'm saying, <laughs> okay, I need to go to the doctor. I'll go to the doctor. And so we go to the doctor. You know what happens? The doctor gives us a prescription. I want you to follow me here. 
when I'm trying to fix myself, I'm trying to do it in my, in my own power with over-the-counter drugs. When I kind of finally realize that I'm desperate for some help here because it's not getting any better, it's actually getting worse, I say, man, I need to go to the doctor. I need to get somebody outside myself here to help me. In our spiritual life, we need help outside of us. We need God. We need God to come down and give us a prescription. Here it is right here. It's His Holy Word. It's the Beatitudes here this morning. Why do I want to live this life halfway? Why do I want to live life in the gray zone? Why do I want to just be walking around in a state of mediocrity when I can have excellence and I can have greatness with God? I can have joy and I can have all these things that God promises. Could it be this morning that your life's not working? Could it be this morning that maybe it resonated with you, the idea that I'm missing a few little pieces here in my life. I still seem to have a little void in my life and I don't want to be walking around half empty. I want to be filled up. I want God to complete me. Being poor in the Spirit means emptying ourselves out. Get the things out of my life that are standing in the way of me receiving the fullness of God's grace. What we're talking about here is humility. Jesus Christ humbled himself. He made himself of no reputation, it says in the Bible. Taking the form of a bond servant. Coming to earth. He humbled himself. Even the death. Even the death on the cross, Jesus Christ says. It says that in Philippians. That Jesus Christ humbled himself. What an example for you and I. <coughs> Let me give you a couple Bible characters that are powerful illustrations of this first beatitude. Remember the rich young ruler? Man, this guy was rich. He was young, had a lot of power, and he had everything. He was probably one of the most prominent young people at his age. And he decided one day that he wanted to figure this whole Jesus Christ thing out. I don't know if he really wanted to know or he just thought it would be cool because everybody's talking about him, so I'm going to go relate to him. So he went. And think about this. Here's a rich, young ruler going to talk to a carpenter. But he went to him and said, Hey, what do I need to do to inherit the kingdom of heaven? A little bit arrogant, isn't it? What do I need to do? Jesus said we need to follow the Ten Commandments. Let me tell you what the right answer would have been. Let me tell you what his answer was. When Jesus Christ said, Hey, let me... You need to follow the Ten Commandments. The right answer would have been, so, oh, Jesus, I know what they are, and I've, I've tried. I've really tried to follow them, but I can't. I've not been able to follow all of them. I've sinned. You know what he said? Well, I've done a pretty good job following those things. In fact, probably if he didn't say this, but I'm sure he's imagine if you compared them with other people, I'm rich, young, and I'm a ruler. So I've done a very good job following those things. Really? Well, Jesus Christ knew where this guy was coming from. And so he said, well, there's one more thing. He said, I want you to go home and sell everything you have and come and follow me. Deny yourself. Follow me. This is a phenomenal picture we see of a person that is rich in the spirit, his own spirit. He was kind of overindulging in himself. He was very proud of his accomplishments and you know, he was holding on to that stuff in this world and realizing, you know, I have all this stuff. I don't really need God. I don't really need this. I'll, I'll get salvation. I'll, I'll buy it. And in fact, I think when he asked that question, you know, what do I want you to do? He figured, you know, I can make a down payment or, hey, let me write you a check here. I'm good to go. Jesus Christ said no. He said it's easier for a camel to get through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to get into heaven. He's given an illustration there that it's sad that we hold on to our things too much and that we're not poor in spirit. 
That rich man was rich in his spirit. What happens when we're poor in spirit? Scripture tells us that we inherit the kingdom of God. Well, what is the kingdom of God? It means that we can have heaven here on earth. Think about just a couple of scriptures. I've got a couple to share with you here this morning that speak about what we have when we're poor in spirit. It says, these things I have spoken. This comes out of John, Gospel of John. These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the, in the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have come overcome the world. You know what he's saying here? You're going to inherit the kingdom of God, which means you're going to be an overcomer. Of all the things that happen in this world and all the bad things and hard things you have to endure, you're going to be an overcomer because I'm an overcomer. I'm giving you the power to overcome these things. I'm giving you the power to have joy even in the midst of your hardest times. And then also in John, over in chapter 15, Jesus Christ says, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. He's saying right here, hey, if you're poor in spirit, you abide in me. But he says in verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out of the branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them in the fire and they're burned. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask and you desire and it shall be done for you. He's saying you've got power in prayer. That you, if you have God abiding inside you, you're going to see fruit coming out of your life. Philippians chapter 4 says, Be anxious for nothing but in everything in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which, understands, which surpasses understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. He's saying there's power in prayer, but also in the power of prayer, I'm going to give you a peace at past understanding. When you face your biggest challenge, when you face your biggest burden, you know what I'm going to give you? Peace. I'm going to give you peace. I'm going to give you contentment that everything's going to be okay. You've seen it before. I've seen it countless times in this church, in this room this morning. People are facing incredible obstacles, but you know what happens? They have peace at past understanding. They say God's in control. And they have that peace in their heart. I told you I wanted to give you two examples. One of them being the rich man. The other one's Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul is arguably probably the greatest missionary that ever lived. Wrote almost half the New Testament. Well, he started out as Saul. As a young man, I'm sure he was voted by his high school classes the most likely to succeed. He was probably the valedictorian in all the schools he went to because he was a brilliant scholar. And he knew the faith. And he was a focused, dedicated, sold-out Pharisee. You know, he realized the mission. The mission is to get rid of this whole Christian thing because it's a heresy. It's wrong. It's also coming against Jehovah, our God. So he was zealous for that. He was serious about that. I imagine he was a step ahead of the rich young ruler, too, about being self-confident, being, being spiritually rich because he knew the Bible. Well, you know his story. He went to get some papers so he could go to Damascus and rest and persecute some more Christians. On the road to Damascus, he met Jesus Christ. Upon meeting Jesus Christ, a little different way, but the rich young ruler met Jesus Christ too. But Paul met Jesus Christ and realized who he was. This is the Son of God. This is the living God I'm face to face with right now. He realized that and called him Lord. He said, Lord, what do you want me to do? In an instant, in an instant, Paul went from being rich in the Spirit to poor in the Spirit. He realized his life was nothing coming face to face with Jesus Christ. Blessed are the poor in Spirit. I want you to think about this. What do you know about the rich young ruler after this one story you read about in Luke? Nothing. Paul's written down in the books for eternity. We read about Paul in the Bible here. Why? 
because he was poor in spirit. Didn't used to be. Didn't start out that way. But he came face to face with Jesus Christ. Probably one of the clearest explanations and pictures of the first beatitude. That rich young ruler made a name for himself. Paul desired to make a name for Jesus Christ. He says, it's not I that live, but Christ that lives in me. There's two ways that you and I can make ourselves poor. We can make ourselves poor by ourselves. That just means we're going to humble ourselves before God. We're going to study God's word and come to realize that God is God and I am I. And I'm nothing without God. Or the second way that we can get poor is with a little help. Two ways to get poor. Do it on our own or with a little help. A little help sometimes is a little tougher. God wants you to be poor spiritually. He wants you to be dependent. He wants you to be desperate for him. He wants you to be a beggar for him. God can create a situation that can draw you in. Why? Because you can't fix it. He'll put you in a situation that you can't fix. Some of you all have been in those situations before. I want you to think about Israel leaving Egypt when Moses went and set the captives free. God set the captives free using Moses there against Pharaoh. I don't know if you've read this story recently or remember, but when the Israelites were getting ready to leave Egypt, you know what the, the Egyptians did? They gave them all kinds of money and all kinds of gold and coins and all kinds of cups and chalices and jewels and jewelry. I mean, they were giving them all kinds of stuff. Why? Just take this and go. Take this and get out of here. Go. Because of all those plagues. They were ready to get the Israelites out of Egypt. So you know what the Israelites felt? Man, they were living pretty large. Man, look at all the stuff we got. You know, not only do we have our freedom, but we got all this booty. We got all this money and things. Man, we're wealthy. We made it. We hit the jackpot. We won the sweepstakes. They were living large. They were living on top of the world. Their own world. Then all of a sudden, something happened. God realized, hey, I've got a problem on my hands. So I'm going to put a situation in front of you that you can't handle, that you can't get out of. What was it? It was the Red Sea. God knew what he was doing because he's the one that directed him to go that way. The scripture says God sent him that way. Well, God, why would you send us this way? They were worried about the Philistines down south there because they thought the Philistines would attack them coming out of Egypt. So God sent them to the Red Sea. What happened when they realized their back is up to the Red Sea and here comes the Egyptian army? They had a crisis moment with God Almighty and realized, I'm spiritually poor right now. I need God. We're desperate for God. God, you've got to save us. Moses reached out his staff and part of the Red Seas. You know, I want you to know it's not enough to be spiritually poor one time. Because why? About two weeks later, the Israelites were complaining about the food and the water and all those things too. Israelites were chronic complainers. Well, unfortunately, many times so are we sometimes. I want you to think about this this morning, though. Sometimes when God puts a situation in your path that you cannot fix, maybe he's doing you a favor. He puts you in a situation that you cannot fix, maybe he's doing you a favor. Well, what favor is that? Maybe he's trying to get your attention that you might realize that you're poor without him, that you need him more than you think you do. It's easy kind of gang along our life and everything's going great, but all of a sudden there's a crisis. All of a sudden we need help, don't we? 
God sometimes wants to show us our insufficiency. Why? Because he wants us to see the kingdom of God. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall see the kingdom of God. Amy and I went on a little trip last weekend, and she has the uh, ability to hook up her cell phone to the radio, so we were jamming along that there. I'm feeling like I'm stylish, too, right in that convertible, but uh, playing some Motown uh, stuff, kind of aging me for sure. Temptation, temptations came on with that song, Ain't Too Proud to Beg. You heard that song? Remember it? Ain't Too Proud to Beg. Well, that's what God's looking for. He's looking for followers of Jesus Christ that aren't too proud to beg. God, I need you. I love that song. Oh, I need you every hour. In May of 1998, Frank Sinatra died. There's never been another singer like Sinatra. He sang and recorded and sold more records than Elvis Presley. For 40 straight years, every single year, for 40 years, Frank Sinatra had at least one song on the top 40 billboard chart. 40 years. Call them old blue eyes. Remember the song, probably one of his more famous ones, I Did It My Way? I'm not going to sing it for you this morning. You can say thank you later. But I'm going to read a couple words for you. It says, now the end is near, so I face the final curtain. My friends, I'll state it clear. State my case of which is certain. I've lived a life that's full. And traveled each and every highway. And more, much more than this, I did it my way. I did it my way. When Frank Sinatra died, he was worth millions and millions of dollars. Owned all kinds of property, all kinds of possessions. But he left it all behind. All of it. Just like you and I, one day when we leave this earth, we're leaving it all behind. Just like us as well, Frank Sinatra left this world and he was going to stand and he stood face to face with Jesus Christ. You can't stand face to face with Jesus Christ and say, I did it my way. There's only one way that Jesus is going to let you into his heaven. It's by acknowledging him while you're on this earth as our Lord and Savior. It's Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. It has nothing to do with works. It had nothing to do with the ritual I go through. It has everything to do with the fact that I believe that Jesus Christ lived, he died, and he rose in the grave, and he lives in heaven today. It has everything to do with the fact that I accept that, but also I confess my sins and say I'm a sinner, and I'm in need of forgiveness of my sins. I need to change my life and the direction of my life. If you and I desire to live the life that God has for us, but also if you're in this room this morning and have never accepted Jesus Christ, there needs to be a time this morning, hopefully, that I need Jesus. I'm poor in my spirit. I can't do it on my own. If you really ponder that thought, can any of us figure out a way to get to heaven? No. Even brilliant scientists can't figure out a way to do that. How can I figure out how to live forever? I can't. They've thought about it. They've actually done research or done exploration to do it. We're all saved by the grace of Jesus Christ because God loved us so much he gave us 
life through Jesus Christ. He gave us his son. So as a body of believers here in Beaverdam Baptist Church, if we desire truly to have a life that's complete, not missing big pieces out of life's puzzle here, it begins right here today. All the Beatitudes are built on this first one, to be poor in spirit. It means to be humble, to realize who I am and who God is, to realize that I need God. Nothing else is going to make sense as we go through the rest of the Beatitudes until we come to a point in our life when we realize that I need to be poor in spirit.